The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 77 for November 8th, 2006. <laughs> 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 Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton. Hi, John. How are you? Hey, Dave. Yeah, we're uh, we're a bit late here. We are various uh, scheduling. And, well, and we had to observe Election Day, of course. That's right. But we wouldn't yeah. have done the podcast on Election Day anyway. I tell you, things sound strange to me. My um, my ultimate ears, the ones I usually use for while recording the show, I had to send them into the shop because they're making me a new set and they couldn't get the fit right. So they said, "Well, we'll just send in the old ones and we'll you know match that." But uh, I'm using these Westone UM2s, and they're good earphones, but they're uh, wacky sounding compared to my ultimate ears. I heard the band kick in there with the tune, and it was like, uh-oh, I have no idea. Wacky. Yeah, well, it just, you know, it's different. Wild, anyway. Wild and wacky? What's that? Did you say vaudeville? All no, right. I said wild and wacky. Wild but your head wacky. changed shape? I mean, your ears, have they changed? Whatever, go no, on. No, 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 no. They're making me a new set of, uh, the ultimate ears is making me a set of these triple driver things that... Uh, purple and yellow they look cool anyway uh so we have a whole lot of stuff to go through uh as you may have seen yesterday yesterday today on the 8th uh, apple introduced the new macbook uh the updated macbook which among other things features the core 2 duo chip just like the macbook pro and that dovetails perfectly in uh with what we had planned for the show tonight anyway we had a comment last week from one of you james uh, talking about how we hadn't yet really dr- uh, touched on the whole 32 versus 64-bit thing with the Core versus Core 2 Duo. And uh, and so John took it upon himself to do all sorts of research on your behalf, and uh, and we're going to go through a lot of that tonight and see if we can't... Uh, see if we can't figure this whole 64 thing, a 64-bit thing out, because it's clearly not clear. And, uh, and then we've got some other feedback and, you know, the typical, typical stuff because, uh, because we're here. Like I said to John before we started the show, this one's either going to be great or it's, uh, or it's not. Uh, what's that? Or not so great. Or not so great. So, uh, this, this whole 64-bit thing, let, let, let's jump right into it. So, the, the Core Duo ha- is uh, technically a 32-bit chip and the Core 2 Duo is a 64-bit chip, or at least that's how uh, that's how the marketing speak reads. What uh, what does that really mean, John? What what's the what's the difference? Let's talk about that first between 32 and 64-bit processing in general, I guess. And then, and you know that's a great question. Yeah. And and unfortunately, the the term's been tossed around quite a bit and and used in different contexts. And perfect. And that's the thing that's really confusing. So. You know, to get to the very basics, a bit is the basic information one or zero that your computer can represent, of course. And we started, you know, back with the, uh, I think the first processor was a 4004 from Intel. Okay. It was four bits, so, you know, two to the fourth. Then, you know, like our favorite, the 6502, which was in our Apple, that was an eight bit. And so, you know, as technology progresses, you get more bits, which is basically the amount of information that the processor, well, what do we mean by that? And I'm what, going to talk yeah. about one definition that a lot of people agree on. Okay. Is the bit of a processor is the number of bits that it can handle in one 
operation. We'll say a lot of times, especially if you're talking compilers that build software, it's the size of the word or usually an integer. Okay. So, you know, 8-bit, okay. 32-64, however many bits, and, and we can keep going, and they're always a power of two just because that's really easy for computers to do. So one aspect is, you know, can the chip handle for, you know, computations and stuff this yep. number of bits in one operation? Okay. And and as I mentioned, you progress through, you know, depending on where you are in the timeline on processors, they get more and more bits. Okay. The current round, for the most part... Um, well, let's talk about, for example, like I have my PowerBook G4. G4, mm -hmm. that's a 32-bit processor, which okay. nothing wrong with that. Okay. Um, when they went to the G5, yep, that is a 64-bit processor. Right. That's right. Now yeah, gets, and that you know that that I'm going to interrupt here because that's a very good thing to remember. These Core 2 Duos and the the Xeon that's in the Mac Pros are not the first 64-bit chips that we've seen in a Mac. The G5, if correct me if I'm wrong, but the G5 was the first 64-bit chip that we saw in a Mac, correct? With the potential With to the, do correct. all sorts of That's wonderful 64-bit right. things. And okay. other vendors, uh, you know, the DEC Alpha, and I believe was a 64-bit chip. And, and other chips have, you know, done 64-bits. Uh, you know, the IBM and the G5 were not the first. Okay. Um, but I'd say, you know, the first, you know, widely okay. available in a consumer class so, machine. So you say wonderful 64-bit things. What, what's what's an example of a wonderful 64-bit thing? And here's where the definition gets kind of weird. And okay. I'll have to take a little swipe at Apple for this. Because even right. in Tiger, they yep. say you can develop 64-bit applications. And the one line, I'm looking at their webpage now, what they say, and I have an issue with this. And they say, by definition, the difference between 32-bit computing and 64 is that you can address 64 bits worth of memory. Okay. Now, if you look at 32 bits worth of memory, that is uh, at most 4 gigabytes, which should ring, Got it. you know, yep. which some people may say, gee, I've heard of that figure before. Well, okay, that's, so, that's, that's, so with 32 bits, with a 32-bit processor, I cannot put more than 4 gigs of, of RAM in my computer. Is that right? Um, <laughs> it's it's the amount that it can talk to at once easily. Okay. okay. Can can I can I uh, can I go off on a, a little tangent here? Because Absolutely. It, because this this reminds me of again back to our Apple II days, where uh, you know I had the, you had a, a two E I believe and I, I had a two C, and they both had one hundred and twenty eight K not megs not gigs uh, of of RAM. Could only see 64K at a time. Is that this whole 8-bit issue? Is that what's going on here? No, not really. Well, okay. back with the Apple II, the thing was is that you had, okay, so you had an 8-bit processor, 64K right. at any one time. At any one time, right. right. What they did was, uh, which I think they even called it page flipping. So that's right. would have ages where the processor really only knew about 64-bit at any one time, but you could the define multiple ones. Like, I remember they, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I just I want to make sure we get Hard that distinction. Back. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, so one trick you can do is you can you can take the maximum space of the processor, which yeah. could be 16, 32, however many bits, and replicate that by flipping in and out, and you'd probably involve some virtual memory writing to disk and all that stuff. Sure. Um, it, it really depends. So Okay, so, but that, so that, that's what that was, and they found a way around it very easily, by, like you said, by page flipping, so... Right, so you had okay. a card, and you but know, you had couldn't. But you banks. couldn't have one application 
spanning or one block, shall I say, spanning both pages. It, it, there had to be two separate things in the pages. Now, I mean, you could get creative and store, you know, what you needed in one page and then another thing. But you couldn't just have one continuous block of memory that was larger than 64K addressable at any Not one time. processor was aware of it at any one okay. time at the very lowest level of the processor. Got it. Okay. I, I just, I thought that, at least for me, that, that was a good way of, of, of kind of wrapping my head around what this, you know, what that, what that means. So with the 32-bit processor, I've, I'm stuck, because in my MacBook, I've, my MacBook Pro rather, I've got the Core Duo. So I'm stuck with this four gigabyte limit. But of course, that, that doesn't matter because I can only put two gigs of RAM in my computer anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and to go back, the, the, the thing is that usually, in, in almost all cases, the maximum size of data that the processor can deal with and the memory address space are the same, just because it's kind of convenient Right, right. to make them the same. You can certainly play around, and I think even at the lowest levels, the PowerPC does some interesting stuff where, um, you know, you can... Uh, we, we won't get too deep into it, because this, this it's a complex topic. We want to make it simple, so right. suffice to say... The amount of data that the processor can talk to in the memory space, let's assume that they're the same. The same. Okay, and, fine. You know. Fine. Okay. But and I'm going to ask another stupid question because I know it. if it's on the tip of my mind, well, let's hope it's on the tip of somebody else's. What if I don't have four gigs of memory? Does it matter that I've got a 32-bit processor? Hmm. Right. I'd I mean, say not. That. Uh, I mean, I and I guess I guess like you said, virtual memory sort of uh, takes over for that. But if I'm not addressing that, if I don't have that much data to address at any one point in time, does it matter? I would say probably not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So if you don't need that much data. Now, the, right. the, there is a layer above it, which you and I, you know, we, we kind of tossed around here. Is, yep. So even though the processor may understand how to talk to that much data. Okay. And address that much data. Um, there's a layer above the processor, the chipset, the BIOS, the firmware, yep. whatever you want to call it. It may introduce some limitations for whatever reason, either right. cost or complexity. Um, and I think you noted this with some of the newer processors is that, you know, they cannot um, address the full space that you would expect them to. Well, yeah. I mean, it, there's this whole issue with, with, with what's called the Santa Rosa chipset, and I believe it exists only in... It doesn't exist in the Mac Pro, but but it is in the uh, iMac, the the Core 2 Duo iMac, the Core 2 Duo MacBook Pro, and and now presumably the Core 2 Duo MacBook, um, where it only and this is why the MacBook Pro has this three gigabyte uh, RAM limitation because this chipset can't it can address more than three it can address four but sometimes it's going to confuse things and assign the same address space to to things that are greater than the, you know, once you move beyond that three gigabyte limit, uh, it, it, it may try to put the same thing, two things in the same place and that's bad. So that's why that three gigabyte limit is there. So really you're, you're, you know, you've got, yes, you have the, the 64 bit in the processor, but the, the chipset of the MacBook pro anyway, and presumably the MacBook, uh, doesn't truly support it. Is that, that basically what we found here? Yeah, so the chipset may introduce a limitation for whatever reason. Um, yeah, so you may not okay. necessarily. I, I don't know if, uh, about the duplicate thing. I, okay. I'd have to think about that a bit. But but the, there are reasons sometimes where the, the amount of memory that the processor should be able to 
address is limited by uh, another chipset above it. Uh, Got it. Sometimes you get designs where they, you know, uh, will design for the future. So even though the current memory technology may be a certain size, sure, they may want to over-design the BIOS, the firmware, whatever, to when the newer chips come out, usually introduce more address lines that they can talk to them. I've, I've seen, especially on, and you probably see this too on some, inexpensive PCs, they will design the BIOS yeah, uh, yeah. or whatever chipset, so even if you put in bigger chips, it doesn't know about it because there's that chipset or BIOS yep. that was designed, okay, you're only going to understand this much memory. So, right. so this is where you get the layering thing, and this is where, where it gets... Uh, gets complex okay yeah so so it's not the chip isn't the only thing that matters you've got the the chip then the chipset and 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 we'll just kind of roll the whole motherboard into that chipset for the purposes of this discussion and then on top of that you've got the operating Uh system of course so you have the software which is a compiler right um and the compilers now what they don't do typically is that when they do make a progression from one architecture to another larger one you know, in the PC world, the Mac world, so you're going from 16-bit to 32 to 64. They don't make it so that the processor will not understand the software that's designed for the original. So a 64-bit processor, including the PowerPC, it'll run 32-bit code. Of course. It may run it better than a 32-bit version. Really? Or it may not. Okay. <laughs> and it's hard to say. <laughs> okay. Um, and I showed you that benchmark that I found today, which uh, <laughs> would indicate that sometimes it, it, it makes matters worse. Okay. And we'll um, link to that, right? That was on uh, uh, it was yeah. uh, geekpatrol.ca, and we've got a link for that in the show notes. Yeah, and they have something called Geekbench, um, okay. which uh, you know does benchmarks on multiple platforms. And in a nutshell, at least uh, when I ran it on my G5, the results for the 64-bit code were slower. Well, isn't that weird? Well, I'd almost have to say it's a compiler issue. Oh, but it's okay. Got it. Yeah. Generating code that's optimized for a 64-bit architecture. Because then you have, as you pointed out, or you were hinting at, all these other layers, including... The OS. Right. You're typically not going to write an application from scratch in assembler, you know, handcrafting it. You're going to take not, advantage not, of not since the Not since the Apple II days, no. Right. And I remember we used to do that. Oh, yeah. But you typically either rely on the capabilities of, of the uh, compiler or the built-in routines more often than not, the build, if you want your software to behave, uh, right. the routines built into the operating system. And, okay. for example, you know, in Tiger, they advertise 32-bit address space. They're kind yep. of fuzzy about... Uh, I'm sorry, 64-bit address space, but they're kind of fuzzy on 64-bit anything else. Okay. And in Leopard, they will be introducing greater capabilities where more parts of the operating system know what 64 bits means. Got it. And it's rewritten to target it. So that's where I have a little issue with them saying 64-bit computing is here. It's like, well, yeah, as far as how much memory you can talk to, I'll, I'll agree. As far as fully utilizing the capability of a processor, it can do more work in the same amount of time with uh, bigger data and that's the thing too I mean, okay so that is, yeah that's the that so that's the key right there is the processor can do in theory it can it can is it is it right to say it can do twice as much work in the same amount of time well it depends on the work <laughs> okay another it okay. depends and i have a very good article here you know from the ibm folks about the power pc and okay depending on what you're doing if, if you're doing a lot of heavy math and involves big numbers yep. or things like that well yeah sure because you can deal with twice as much data in, sure. in the same amount of time got it but if you're okay. doing things like especially like like and this is where i think you had a question for me does it really matter right it's like it depends on what you're doing if you're running a word processor <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah sure before right. computing is probably not a priority for you unless you're 
you know, chugging. I mean, if you're just typing and laying things out. Yeah, but if but if you're doing a lot of graphics stuff, maybe some gaming or uh, audio processing. Uh, you know, you've got some, you know, uh, in, internal oh, sure. stuff where you, you know, adding reverb and compression and, you know, all that stuff at the same Absolutely. time. I can see that being hugely uh, advantageous to do it on a 64 yes. bit chip, right? And that's where they point out okay. the, the definite advantages of a 64 bit is okay. you can, in theory, depending on what you're doing, but you can do twice the amount of work that you could do with the 32 bit system. As long as Especially it's the as right you pointed work. out. Yeah. Yeah. When you're doing. Uh, yeah. So I, I would say it's safe to say anything that gets your processor up to 100% or close to it. Yep would indicate to me that it's really struggling or, or trying to do okay. mathematical or other operations, and it's starting to hit a wall. So okay. I would think those apps would benefit greatly. And, you know, again, it depends. I mean, sure. Word is probably not going to be chewing up a lot of your processor or text editor. Right, right. <laughs> right. But, um, Although Word, know, Word does quite a bit of graphics display, right? I mean, as you're typing, it's it's laying out all the fonts and all that stuff, so... Now, of course, that even gets to another level of, uh, as you pointed out in the past, an entire system. Then That's you right. have the whole graphic system, That's the, right. the amount yeah. of graphic memory, the yeah. graphic bus. And how efficient is the OS? Is, is it handing off the things that, that it should be handing off, et cetera, et cetera? Okay. All right. Well, that no, that, Boy, that's good. That I, I pegged, think that pegged the geek meter. <laughs> it did. It pegged the geek meter. But but I I I I really didn't do any research on this. Uh, I mean, I I had a general understanding. I read some of the emails that back, went back and forth. But uh, but once we decided to do this for the show, I I specifically didn't want to do any research because I, I wanted to make sure I asked the right questions. And at this point, I feel like I understand this topic better. So thank you, John, for doing all the work. And hopefully the mix here did the right thing for, for you, the listener, because we're really trying to convey this in a, in, you know, what I, what I always like to say, we try to translate this to human. So to, to revisit my, uh, my own question that I posed to the both of us, uh, in the show we did about the MacBook pro should, you know, does it matter core duo versus core two duo? And, Knowing, you know, what I know now, I, I guess for some folks it does. Like like you said, if you're pegging your processor, if you're doing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, graphics work or audio work or the, the kinds of things that, frankly, you know, the Mac excels at, this 64-bit thing is going to make a difference. So, yeah, I, I, I may... Uh, I may I may modify my advice and say, yeah, for it matters t- more to some of us than others. Yeah, and to, uh, to well, we're definitely going to point to the, the Geek Patrola thing. Mm-hmm. But what they noted is that with the with the code that they compiled with with uh, whatever compiler they used, which yep. I, I I don't know if it was Xcode or or another GCC or well Xcode does have GCC last I checked. Um, right, right. Yeah. The Intel code when they ran the 32-bit version of their benchmark and the 64-bit targeted for a 64-bit. Yep. On the Intel chip, it did better. Huh. On the G5, it did worse, which hints to me that the uh, compiler, compiler yeah. knew how to produce more efficient code for one processor versus the other. Got it. Okay. So that's where I get to the thing that, you know, a, a lot of it is, it depends. If the compiler knows how to, how to do the code and the chip and the chipset and the memory and everything, if everybody all knows about 64-bit, then it then rocks. You could, you could rock. Otherwise, it, it could actually get worse. <laughs> okay, got it. All right, well, that that's it. Please, please do, I, I'm sure. I mean, we've really hung it out here on the line. 
So I'm sure we've gotten some things wrong. I'm sure we glossed over. I know we glossed over some stuff that that is going to uh, that already has has graded some of you uh, the wrong way. That that's okay. I wanted to get this conversation started. By by no means uh, would this necessarily be the end of it. Uh, please feel free to send in your audio comments, your your emails. You know, let let the let the floodgates open. Two zero six 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 geek is uh, is the number to uh, to call if you want to phone in an audio comment. You can Skype it to Mac Geek Gab or Mac Geek Gab at MacObserver.com. And I believe Andy. Uh, we're, we're now we're move, moving on to some follow ups from from our keyboard shortcut show because there seems to be a lot of them this week. And Andy uh, actually called that 206-666-GEEK, which for those of you without numbers on your phone is 206-666-4335. And Andy had this to say. Hi there guys, this is Andy from Germany. Um, I'm calling or sending in this um, audio comment about Robert's um, dictionary question, um, looking up dictionary question. I think it was in, in episode 76 or something like that. Uh, what I did was I went to system preferences and uh, keyboard and mouse and then clicked on a tab keyboard shortcuts and in that list there is an option for the dictionary or much rather uh, look up in the dictionary and I assigned in my case a key F4 to it as I assigned um, the keys F1, 2 and 3 for expose and various and dashboard. Um, that enables me to toggle on and off the, the dictionary option and uh, I thought that's a neat feature that I thought I'd like to share with you guys. Um, keep up the good work, I love the show and uh, yeah, bye. Thanks Andy and of course there's no way Andy called the number, he recorded that on his own Mac, that sounded way too clear but thank you very much and it, Donald, remember it's by default it's command control D to do this dictionary thing but but as Andy found, that shortcut is available to be modified in the keyboard shortcut section of the system preferences. Donald also wrote in, wrote, wrote, wrote in yeah. and, uh, and said that there's a couple of other ways that you can uh, look up a word in the dictionary. And you can go into Safari and by typing dict colon, D-I-C-T colon slash 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 and a word, you'll get... The diction, you'll get the dictionary entry right there, and you can even email that to other people. Presumably, they need to be Mac users, but uh, but that's but that's yet another one. This dictionary thing has been so cool that uh, I, I I wind up using it more than I thought I would. There's a couple of the shortcuts from that keyboard shortcut show that uh, that I just mm-hmm. use almost all the time. The Command L in iTunes to find to locate the existing playing track is great because I wind up surfing all around in there and then get lost and it brings me right back to the playlist where I, where I started from and all that stuff. Uh, and then this dictionary thing. So I figured the, uh, the, the dictionary thing would be the first teach Mac module that I created. As you know, teach Mac is a, a sponsor of the show for uh, a long-term sponsor anyway. Uh, and at teachmac.com, of course, and their program is built to have examples, audio, still picture or audio and video together showing uh, training it, people to do certain things. And I created a Teach Mac module this afternoon. Uh, it took me all of about six minutes to do. Very, very easy. I actually wound up using Snaps Pro and recorded a movie uh, just of me on the screen. And I was just talking into the mic in front of my Mac and uh, showing how to use this dictionary thing. And, and it, it worked great. So that module will be in the Mac Geek Gab section at Teach Mac. And you can submit your own modules to TeachMac uh, using their Module Maker app. I swear it's easy, very, very simple to use. 
so teachmac.com and uh, we thank them for sponsoring the show and also offering this great little platform for us to use to uh to get stuff out so hopefully that'll appear in the teach mac listing within the the next couple of days here yeah i'd really want to ask you not to swear though <laughs> well, and actually, no, I want to mention one thing about Dictionary. Yeah. Um, a few people wrote, because I, I was scratching my head saying, how did you find out about this other than the uh, you know keyboard and the system preferences? And here's what I did. So, so I got to you know just uh, yeah. explain myself here. Yeah, go ahead. Explain <laughs> so yourself. So I went to Dictionary Help. <laughs> ah, yeah. I went to Dictionary Help, and it has a search field, and I typed in keyboard shortcut. Okay. I didn't find anything. Right. Right. Now, at least in my mind, my expectation was if Dictionary had a keyboard shortcut, it would show up. Well, but here's here's, oh, here's the defense but, for that. It's not the Dictionary app that's doing that, right? This is an OS function. Yeah, but I still expect it to know what I want. I'm, I think that's an unreasonable expectation. <laughs> but then as it was pointed out, uh, several people wrote in, if you go to Dictionary Help, you, you bring it up in the Dictionary app, and yeah. then you go to See All Dictionary Topics, and you say looking up words in other applications uh, that will clue you in. so i should have taken okay. that path so i did okay. not take enough time to read through all of the topics um and and searching for a keyboard shortcut within the help app was not the right approach so just to let people know it was there but not where i expected all right so steve then had uh, to follow up on more keyboard shortcuts here's what uh, here's what steve had to say this is interesting uh, you know what? I gotta I gotta unmute that channel if there's any hope of uh, of hearing what Steve's gonna say. So we'll try that again. Hey, John and Dave, this is Steve from Seattle again. Great job on the show. I'm calling about the keyboard shortcuts episode. Uh, two things. Uh, one is a follow up on a question somebody had. The other is the Uber Geek shortcut of them all. Mm. Uh, firstly, somebody asked about the. Uh, keyboard shortcut for applications. You guys mentioned Spotlight, but neglected to mention the top hit shortcut. So use Spotlight, Command, uh, Spacebar, enter the application name or the first couple of letters, and then your top hit will show in your list up in the upper right corner. And then to select the top list from the keyboard, just click Command and Enter. If your desired application doesn't come up as the top hit, you can go to the Get Info command, edit the Spotlight com comments, and add in a couple of uh, characters that you can type, which will always get you that application as the top hit. Uh, your discussion about shortcuts, um, I think, was missing an important consideration, and that is what makes a shortcut a shortcut. Uh -huh. And if you look at novice computer users, generally, yep. I see them have their right hand on the mouse and the mm -hmm. left hand sitting in the lap as if it was paralyzed. So uh, that said, I think the best keyboard shortcut is actually your left thumb. And what I do is I keep my left thumb on the keyboard right about the command spacebar. And I can use the spacebar for paging down web pages. Command key is uh, right there in combination with the forefinger. I've got everything, command, tab, quit, close, uh, refresh, select all, copy, paste, uh, command Z, all of that's right there in an instant uh, that I want it. And I think that's the best shortcut. Uh, cheers, guys. Keep up the great work. Talk to you later. 
All right, that that actually hits on a topic that is near and dear to my heart. So thank you, Steve, for 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 mentioning that. You're right. The left hand is is oft unused. In fact, when I was uh, starting, uh, I don't know, I was working doing a lot of graphic design back for Citibank in the days, and uh, and I found myself with my left hand paralyzed, of course, in my desk in my lap, mm-hmm. uh, and. My right hand, I watched it one day as I bounced from the mouse to the keyboard, mouse to the keyboard. I was doing a lot of stuff in PageMaker and things like that where, you know, you had to do some commands and then move things around and do some commands. And I thought, well, this is stupid. And the problem is I could type and still can type a lot better one handed with my right hand than my left hand. So I reasoned, okay, well, that's not going to change anytime soon. However, I can teach myself how to use the mouse with my left hand. So I did that. And the first day, I was a total spaz, but uh, I actually brought out the application Shufflepuck, which uh, some of you may remember from from days gone by, which was essentially like playing uh, air hockey on, on the Mac, but you used the mouse to control the uh, the little air hockey thing. And it was a perfect way to, to totally lose the sight of the fact that I was using my left hand and just focus on this game. Developed the hand-eye coordination, took about a day, and... Uh, and then started using the mouse with my left hand and had my right hand to dance all over the keyboard. And it was amazing how fast my productivity increased. Awesome. So, uh, huh. so there you go. What I toss in, yeah. two things. One, take a typing course. Oh, well, yeah. Sure. <laughs> if you haven't already. Yeah, but that doesn't help you listening. one-handed, right? I mean, that, you know, <laughs> they usually don't no, teach you how to type one-handed. So, yeah. of course, yeah. So, number one, learn to touch type because... You may have to type in the dark someday. Right. <laughs> but the other thing is, well, my favorite input device, and I have it both at the you know day job and at home, and I got hooked on them like over 10 years ago, was the Turbo Mouse. Yep. And that, at least the, the current one that I have right now, the USB one, has six shortcut buttons, and it has four buttons itself, and then the trackball. And I've just gotten very used to this. That's why any computer that I use... You know, on a regular basis, yeah. I like to have one of these. And it also introduces, you know, a certain level of shortcuts because it has four buttons. I, I still, I'm so glad Steve got over the one-button mouse thing. Oh, yes, that goodness. Just, yeah, that wasn't working uh, out too one, well. One-button mouse that's not how. That's not how we roll here, see? <laughs> we, got, well, we got multiple button mice. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that, you know, a one-button mouse, the, the only thing I can agree with is the chance of hitting the wrong button is 0%. That's true. Uh, well, or it's 100%. Well, there is no other button to press on oh, the mouse. Oh, yeah, well, so. I guess that's true. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but the one button could be, at a certain time, the wrong button, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. You know, if you're, if you're hovered over the, the okay uh, little uh, uh, chiclet when, uh, when it says, are you sure you want to erase this drive, right? Then that might be the wrong button, despite the fact that it's the only button. So it's situational... Uh, uh, situational reference there. So, uh, you know, hey. I, I did want to, I did. Yeah. I wanted to follow up Chuck, uh, from, from randomaccess.com wrote in and, uh, and said he knew the solution because he had the same problem to the issue of, uh, that, that one of our listeners had a couple of shows ago where plugging the iPod into the Front USB port on the dual processor G5 ground the machine to a halt. And Chuck had the same problem with his daughter's iPod. He went back and forth to the Apple store, actually got a new iPod, same problem, then plugged it into the back. And sure enough, it worked just fine. 
after knowing this, he then did some searches online and found that, yes, this is a known but not addressed problem where there's there's some issues with the front USB ports or at least the way they're addressed or or something along those lines. So if you do have that problem with, yeah. with the dual G5, that's the uh, that's the answer. Which I have one of those. And actually, I, w- I was doing a bit of fooling around, too. Yeah. I thought that there may have been a discrepancy between the style of USB on the front uh, and the back, O or 2O. As yep. it turns out, at least on my G5, they're all USB 2O, 48-bit kilobit right. ports, because I thought, oh, okay, you know, if one is a USB 1, then maybe just because it's quite a bit slower right. than USB right. 2. So it's it, it must be some way that they wire up the USB controller to the front and the back that one of them is just the driver's not written right, is my guess. Yeah, it, yeah, you, that may very well be it. So, so there you go. So that's our catch-up stuff. Uh, we got a little bit of time here. We've got a couple of things that we can go through here. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll start with uh, we'll start with Chad. Remember two zero six 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 six, geek. That's right. Four three three five. Hi, John and Dave. This is Chad from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, calling with a question. I'm sure you can help me out with. I am now living in Wisconsin. My family, my uh, extended family, lives primarily in the suburbs of Chicago, Illinois, which, while only being a two-hour drive, is a bit long of a drive when I get the inevitable phone call, something screwy with my computer. Uh, I uh, have a copy of Apple Remote Desktop, and that works to a point, but there are multiple computers within my uh, parents' house that I need to be able to administer. Right now, my only solution is to first log into their base station, change where the the port forwarding for ARD well first I have to somehow get in get into the base station find out which IP address the computer I need to administer is and then route stuff to that machine needless to say it's a big pain in the tushy and I was hoping for something better what I'm looking for is some sort of VPN solution where I could uh, put that just on the inside of their network and connect to them uh, either that, it could either be hardware or software. I would love to have some sort of uh, software solution I could just install on their primary Mac and then put that on the DMZ and connect in and go from there. Alternately, I wouldn't mind shelling out some money just so that I don't have to make that drive uh, and put that just inside their network and connect to it. Do you have any hardware or software solutions for a VPN server? Obviously, the base station has a VPN pass-through, but itself won't do VPN as far as I know. Uh, if you have any solutions, let me know. I'd appreciate it. Otherwise, uh, enjoy the show. Take care. Bye. All right, Chad. I've got some ideas for you here. Uh the first would be to simply now. I'm assuming you're using an airport base station um, and configuring that to do this may be a little tricky. But you could set it up so that coming in on you can have it so that when you come into a certain port, presumably 5700, I believe that's the uh, the port for VPN, or maybe it's 5701. Um, actually, it's I think it's that whole range. So you come in on port 5700, and that points you to a certain MAC. Well. It points you to port 5700 on a certain Mac. You could also do it so that when you go to port 5701, it points you to port 5700 on another Mac. And you can do your port mapping that way and get there. You could also go to the individual Macs and change the port on which the VPN server listens 
but that requires editing some stuff at the command line. So, uh, so if, if you can configure the router and, and honestly, I, I simply forget whether it, I know it's an option on most of the Linksys and Netgear routers that you can say, look, if I come in on one port, forward me to another Mac or another computer on the network on another port. Um, but the airport base station may force you to, to route to the port in question. So if you're going to do any of this, mm-hmm. I recommend doing static mapping. Don't pick an I- Don't get an IP address from DHCP. Right. Get an IP address, uh, you know, assign one manually, pick one that's outside of the uh, the range that the DHCP server assigns, and and just assign them manually. Be- that way, you're sure not to, to have to guess. However, all this may be very, uh, maybe more than you want to deal with. You want to VPN in and be done with it. Uh, I don't know of a way of doing that with the, the airport base station. It's not that it's impossible. It's that no one's released software to, uh, to change the base station and allow this capability. You could, as you said, install uh, a VPN client or a VPN server like OpenVPN on uh, a Mac OS X. That would work, uh, but installing that requires more command line headache than you probably want to deal with. Honestly, the solution I recommend is the one that I implement here. Get a Linksys WRT54GS, not the G. And the reason you can't get the G is because they crippled it um, recently. The the version 5 and version 6. Version 5 and version 6 of it only have 8 megs of memory, and it's not enough to do what we want to do. Uh, the older versions had 16, and that was fine. The WRT54GS has... Uh, Used to have 32 megs of memory, now it only has 16, but that's enough to run open, uh, I'm sorry, DD-WRT, which is a different firmware for the Linksys routers and others. And one of the features that's available in the standard version of this firmware is a VPN server. It's PPTP, very straightforward. It works with OS X's VPN client, and uh, and you can set it up and log in and then address all the Macs as if they were on your local network. So that's, it, it's not, there's no straight ahead solution, but that's as, as simple as it gets. The nice part about it is it's all installed on the router. And once you get that, you can set up that router at home, bring it to your parents' house, plug it in and you're done. So mm-hmm. that's uh DDWRT. Oh. It's a, uh, it's free. Uh, so, you cool. know, you buy, you buy your router. It's less than a hundred bucks. You do what about 65, 70 bucks. For the for the GS and and you need that GS unless you can find an older G, uh, G and then you're fine. So there you go. I think they had an L, but anyways, you know it's funny because I actually updated the firmware in mm-hmm. my Linksys, and as it turns out, I have a 6.0, and I was just looking yeah. here that they definitely did after the 4.0 because I thought it'd be the same, and it's no. not. They they actually reduced the amount of flash memory. That's right. Which. Uh, that's but right. they actually came up with an update because I've had some problems with my current one. It's now in version 10, at least on the... Uh, oh, of the Linksys firmware? Yeah, actually, they, they uh, I think uh, you know a month or two ago, they actually updated it because I was yeah. having some problems with my latest one. I mean, in general... you, you got to give up on that Linksys firmware, man. you you got to run DD Wirt. Well, be, on my be much well, better yeah. off. Because of my prior one, I think I had a you know version 2 or 3. Yeah. One of the ones that had enough uh, flash to take the new firmware. Right. I was very happy with that. When I ordered the new one, I you know assumed that it would be the same. And yeah. It wasn't. Well, the other can, problem is they can... switched to uh, VX Works. VX Works, right? But but you can. Versus a Linux base. But you can still run DD Wirt. Uh, you mm-hmm. have to run the mini version, which doesn't include yeah. the VPN server. But you can run that on your 
version five and six uh, routers from Linksys. There's, I can, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes and, and I'll obviously send it to you, John. There's a page that talks about how to get that firmware on there. And it's not too bad. I just did it for my dad uh, a couple of weeks now, ago. So another thought, yep. now I'm going to toss one other out is you could, I think you can do this either Apple skirt or, or automator is to write a little script where when you run it, it resets the static IP of the machine to a known one, like the secret support IP, whatever you want uh, that to be for your pl- And then when you're done doing that, you have grandma or grandpa or whoever it was, your parents, run something to revert it back to another address. You see where I'm getting at? I do. Yeah, that way you, you just you leave the forwarding in place as he currently has it or forward it to, to a... a specific port and then you... Uh... I'm pretty sure you could. I'm going to oh, assume yeah. you could do that through Apple Script or Automator, where yeah. you can change the IP. So I agree with you, and I do this at home too. Any machine that's not moved, that I can't move <laughs> easily, yeah. it's a static IP. Yeah, and you know, I want to say something about that. And I've been doing this for for a while with my my laptop. You know, obviously my Mac laptops have two network adapters that I use regularly: the wireless one and the wired one. And uh, and you can set the same IP address to both adapters. And the cool thing is if I'm plugged in wired and I need to go somewhere and I've got a transfer happening, I turn on airport, make sure it's connected to the base station, you know, or the, the, the router, unplug the cable and the transfer never stops. Very cool. I, I, if you cool. look in the, if you look in the logs, you'll see that there's some, you know, some, some fighting that happens and you got to, yeah, you got to go in your, uh, in your network, uh, system preference pane, and change the order so that Ethernet is the top priority, airport is the second priority, and that way the system knows, you know, if I got Ethernet, I, I'm not going to send traffic over the airport interface, if, you know, it, assuming they're on the same subnet, uh, mm-hmm. assuming all else is equal. And and it, it actually works great, and it's been working great since, you know, probably OS 10.0, if, if not 10.1. So, mm-hmm. all right, Dave's got a problem. We're going to fix it for him. <sighs> not me. I have a problem, too, and I'll, I'll talk about that. Hey guys, how are you? Great show. Um, this is Dave, and I am uh, calling from the Woodstock, New York vicinity. Um, I just recently developed a little bit of an issue with my PowerBook uh, over the last couple of days. I do a lot of traveling, a lot of flying, um, and uh, I was in a hotel room. Oh, so the point is that I uh, use, use my PowerBook on battery quite a bit, and I just recently bought a new battery about a month or so ago, and it's been great. Um, but a couple days ago, I was in a hotel, unplugged it, took my PowerBook with me, went to go do some work for the afternoon, came back, plugged my PowerBook back in again, and uh, the little amber and green lights around the power adapter didn't light up, so I was a little confused with what was happening. Um, however, it was running off the AC. It's just that it wasn't charging the battery, it seems. Uh, every time I unplugged it, the battery would... Uh, the battery uh, light indicator would uh, be lower and lower and it wasn't taking a charge. So I let the battery run down completely, tried plugging it in again to no avail, tried uh, zapping the PRAM to no avail, and I'm a little bit at a loss what to do. So maybe you guys can help me. It's way out of warranty. It's been on one gig power book, um, and we'll take it from there. All right, as usual, as everyone else says, great show. Keep it up. Talk to you soon. Thanks for the kind words, Dave. I've got a simple answer for you. It's your adapter. Michael, uh, the, the 
wonderful gentleman who converts the podcast to AAC for uh, us and all of you uh, had exactly the same problem. <laughs> Frankly, I think it was on, on the power book that I, that I uh, sold to him and, uh, and swapped out the adapter and good to go. So one last question, because when I heard this, I decided I wanted the answer to, and I looked and I couldn't find it and now it's driving me crazy. So uh, thanks Zoe. Hi, I have a question about finding downloads. I download a lot of stuff onto my computer and my downloads folder gets full really quickly. Um, I'd really like to make a smart folder that finds, for instance, today's downloads or this week's downloads. Basically, using date created or date modified doesn't usually work because they come with the file itself rather than being set at the moment that they appear on my computer. What I really need is the equivalent of iTunes date added column. Any tips you can give me and I would be really grateful. I love the show. I listen all the time from Milan, Italy and keep doing a great job. Thanks. I, I don't have an answer on this, John. I know you and I talked about this before the show and, uh, you know, there's no. Uh, it's t- I saw some smart folder yeah. action like an other category, but there was a boatload. There's a truckload of stuff out there. I dug through that. It it doesn't exist. Uh, It it should. It seems like it could. It, you know, the only thing I can think of is perhaps coming up with, you know, and you'd have to write some script that, that looked at the folder, took a snapshot of what was there and then, you know, created uh, aliases to things based on when they were, you know, when it when they were added. If you had it run as a cron job and it ran every 10 minutes or so, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, it, it could just be, you know, she's got to really just, you know, be a bit more organized than just like pay attention to that folder. It's crying uh, out to you to, no, to clean I, it. I, I do the same thing. <laughs> I, it, 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 it works. Okay. It works. So, you know, I, I just, I don't, I, I wish I knew the answer. No, I have the same thing. Every now and then I'll, I have a dedicated download yeah. folder. Most of the times I'll find it in last modified or towards the top. But every now and then I'm like, uh, where did it go? And I got a, a lot of it. stuff. Anytime you download a disk image or anything that was created, uh, you know, image files, picture files and things like that usually get, you know the the date modified or date added or or, uh, or date created, but a lot of other files they're just. I, in fact, I I had to download the AIM, the old old AIM installer the other day, and its date its date is from two thousand four, and it's like you know I had a, and I had a hard time finding it because I had so you this know, is the twenty five things. I Mac it. I Geek Gab Geek Challenge. Can you figure this? Can out? Can you do it? This is the Geek Challenge. All right. Do we have a prize? Uh, sure. We'll send them some books or uh, or something. We've got stuff. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Send it. In. Get get us the. You get us the answer to that. We'll get you something. How's that sound? Right. Mm-hmm. What do you think, John? Uh. So. Uh. You know. I've got a couple things coming up here. One is that uh, next week, Tuesday, the fourteenth of November. I will be at the Seacoast Mac Users Group meeting, the Seacoast Mug in Rye, New Hampshire, with Corey Cooper uh, from the Mac OSG podcast, and we're going to be talking. We're going to be talking about what podcasting. So, uh, if you are in the New Hampshire area, it is a free meeting. Please come by, say hi. Uh, we'll, uh, you know, we'll smile or something. So there you go. We'd love to see you there. 
from what I understand, it's a it's a great group of folks. So I am very much looking well, forward to doing they're that. Mac, they're Mac people. Exactly. There you go. They got to be go. decent. Yeah, absolutely. And, Otherwise, uh, we'll and beat I, the living stuffing out of them. I got I got another thing I need. If anybody knows of good, easy to use, simple, not too complex project management, you know, Gantt chart package for the Mac, let me know. I, I need something. There's so much stuff out there, and I've been looking, and I don't know. You, you could run Project using Mi- Microsoft camp. Project? Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> that's not how we roll here. <laughs> uh, so that's it. Uh, Cashfly hosting, of course, is where you've downloaded this show. Next week, uh, we've got so many listener comments, and I have no doubt that there will be more. So we, we are going to do the show Monday um, uh, next week, so it'll be a short gap between now and then. Yep, and I'll have to say, you know, especially the 3264 thing. Yeah. We tried to make it. Let us have it. There and, it is. Well, no, but also I know there's a lot of people that listen, and we got the emails. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, that are specialized in compiler design and chip design. Yeah. And fun stuff like that. And, you know, once you get out of that niche there, it becomes, uh, I think, kind of difficult to yeah. describe to a normal person, which, well, if you're listening hey. to this, you're probably not quite normal, but how do you, <laughs> really, how do you boil it down? I, I think it's a big challenge, and I I still have some issue with, you know, the marketing angle, you know, yeah. what do 64 bits mean to people? Yeah. And I, I think it's an important topic, and, and, you know, Apple's preparing for it, which is great, with their new chips. All right, so the podcast marketplace has the 6i isolator earphones from Edomotic, awesome. the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, and of course, TeachMac from TeachMac.com. If you want to sponsor the show, talk to the Backbeat Media Podcast Network, but it's getting full, folks. Uh, and play Nation States with us because uh, it's just so much darn fun, you know. It, uh, Screaming blueberries is your choice there for you go. <laughs> That's That's what you say. That's what I say. <laughs> that's what you say. <laughs> Thank you so much for staying subscribed. We really appreciate it. We look forward to talking to you in a couple days. Short gap. Long gap, not good. Short gap, good. So it's the icing on the cake. Yeah. Well, no, the icing on the cake is the final thing, Dave, which is... The final thing? What do you mean the final thing? You know. Oh, yes. Very, very important. Don't get caught. made up.